Hello everybody, welcome to part two of the Hoonigan special edition series of podcasts that we've got going on here at the Donut Garage. With me, I might say, is possibly the heel of the Hoonigan team, uh, Mr. Nads, John Nadiri. Hopefully I've pronounced that correctly. That is, very good pronunciation. And I don't know what your title is, but I mean, I think heel of Hoonigan seems very appropriate. I like I like Hoonigan heel. I think I'll own that title, but I'm the... Uh, Behind the scenes, I'm the associate creative director. Um, in front of the scenes, I'm the resident beer pipe filler. No. And which you do a pretty good job at. Yes, I do. Uh, but more so, I mean, for me personally, I was hoping today we could maybe talk about what Ron described as like an origin story-esque. Is this, is this like a Marvel or a DC Comics sort of thing? Sort uh, of a prequel? Like is this like a solo sort of vibe we're doing right now? Uh, probably. Probably. Let's, <laughs> let's go. I don't know whether we're go, what are we gonna, which universe you want to go on. Do you want to go DC, Marvel, or Star Wars? I don't know which one we're going to go on here. I have no idea which one is which. I just know I take my, my kids to see those movies. And hey, and they make lots of loud noises. Exactly. And if you get struggling like I do, sometimes you can go to the bathroom and the fa- action sinks like 10 minutes long. You don't really miss too you much. You never miss anything. No, no it's you fine. You can come back and it's still happening. Yeah. So that's so where where should we start? Where should we jump back to in oh your long and storied career in the automotive sector? How did you originally get into cars? I'd have to say that, you know, I have to credit my father for getting myself into cars. He loved it. You know, I, I was actually I, – I, I have an odd story. My father started wealthy and then became poor. So okay. I was born into money and mm-hmm. then had the silver spoon unceremoniously yanked from my mouth. So that was a sort of a tough comeuppance. But um, – he had he had some money when I was growing up, and he drove nice cars and nothing special like Mercedes S Class or something like that. But he he saw me gravitating towards for whatever reason, you know, four wheeled transportation, and I started off actually liking off road trucks. Like okay, Bigfoot was my thing, as which in, is a know. very very cool truck. Completely. And back in the day, it was super cool when it was on the Predator carbs and the forty eight inch tires. And, and even still like, to this day, I still think know. Bigfoot is cool. The OG Bigfoot to me is like it was a regular truck that was set on planetary axles and mm-hmm. it just started to drive over cars, albeit slowly at the time. You know, today like monster trucks are so. Rat Fink cartoonish and outlandish and everything. Yeah, I mean, They're they are, so far beyond the realm of comprehension. This like was super-sized Hot Wheels, Completely. Basically. This was an F-150 or 250, correct me if I'm wrong, that just sat on monster tires. You know, you're like, that's a truck with the door slammer doors and everything. And Bob Chandler wore his boots and his sunglasses and his cowboy hat and climbed into that thing. And he had a place called Midwest on Off-Road in, in Wisconsin and – he would drive this truck over cars, and I just thought it was the neatest thing. And I'd see it. There was no YouTube then, so we'd read about it in magazines and see it occasionally on television. Mm-hmm. And it was just to me, it was the the neatest things. And from there, that dovetailed into reading off road magazines like Four Wheeler and and the the guys that would just rebuild these trucks, take these like zero to hero type builds. And I fell in love with like I became a Ford guy. And my dad said, we're going to buy a, an old truck and we're going to restore it. So he bought a, a, just a wrecked F-150. Mm-hmm. And we you know, we didn't do the build ourselves per se, but we took it to a bunch of different shops, obviously, because my dad had money. Look, but I'm, I will say I don't build my own cars. I always find if I want to go to a specialist, I'm happy to pay someone money to do it, to lay on their back on a cold concrete service to do that. Couldn't agree more. I'm more of a deconstructionist sort of guy. Like, I'm great at taking them apart. It's like the reassembly phase. It sort of always gets me flummoxed. Yeah. So. I'm, I'm one of the ones – I'm quite happy to leave a garage with less money in my pocket but more skin on my knuckles. Completely. I'm the, the exact same way. So for me, 
I, you know, at, at eight years old, my dad got a truck and said, let's do this. I got to pick all the parts and I got to go to the shops and Mm -hmm. everything. I learned a lot about the inner workings, about how trucks are built and how a build process takes place and everything. And from there I was off to the races for some unknown reason. I don't know why. And I, I like that I'm talking to you about this, James. One of the very first childhood posters that I could remember was the Tyrrell six-wheel F1 car, yep. and on the streets of Long Beach, no less, too, which is one of the one of my favorite circuits because I kind of grew up in Southern California. I'd always mm-hmm. go to the Long Beach Grand Prix, and um, I would end up, you know, watching this car every night before going to sleep, you know, and just seeing, not even knowing what Formula One was, and not even knowing what a weird, misfit bastard child of a car that was yeah. until later on in my in life. But um, from there, it, it, it brought me into uh, what was called Mickey Thompson off-road trucks with mm-hmm. Ivan Stewart and then fan of the I mean, Baja I'm a 1000. huge Ivan you know? Stewart fan. So. Just purely from the video game itself. Oh, the video game, when the video game came out, that was – I lived that world and then saw it in video game yeah. fashion. So now people look at it as a throwback. To me, I was at the races and then seeing that we used to go to the Coliseum and the trucks would jump – in through the through the state into the stadium it was amazing so that's what sort of kind of sparked my love for it and i i ventured into bmx racing and mountain bike racing and a lot of cycling and triathlons and all that sort of silly business went to school in san diego but still always had a love for um either the the cycling world and the automotive world mm-hmm. and i i sparked on journalism and it was the best way to do things you could write about a story and photograph a story. And I got into photography because of one of my early mentors. His name was Zapata Espinosa. He was the editor of Mountain Bike Action. I actually interviewed him for a college project, and he said the best thing you could do is learn photography in addition to writing. So that dovetailed me into photography as well as writing. That's kind of handy if they have to pay one person to the two people, right? And if you want to tell your own story, if you're relying on someone else to help you tell that story, you can kind of struggle with that. Mm -hmm. So I tried to work for some of the mountain bike magazines, found out they paid even less than what was automotive journalism at the time, and said, (laughs) hey, I think I'll go with cars because there's a little bit more money in selling sheet metal than in selling a kid's toy. Mm -hmm. So. I branched off into automotive journalism, and I, I went off – and the very first magazines that I read, Four Wheeler, were produced by a publishing company called Peterson Publishing, mm-hmm. which Mr. Peterson was the guy who essentially invented Hot Rod Magazine and Motor Trend. He invented essentially to a lesser extent automotive journalism to you know to, to coin a phrase. And uh, he ended up building this empire on – then it was on Sunset Boulevard – and I would write letters to them back when you had to write a letter with your CV attached to it. Yep. And you'd write a, write a, write a cover letter mm-hmm. and send it off. And I had rejection letter after rejection letter after rejection letter. And somehow I got hired by a little magazine called Max Speed at the time. And uh, this magazine was an offshoot of Super Street. And um, got hired by Donald Nosek and from there hit the ground running and took off from there and had a blast doing it. And later became the editor of Super Street Magazine. Before that, I started off on a little blog format for something called Overboost.com, and I was shooting with a little Coolpix 900 where I went from my regular SLR camera because we couldn't – there was no digital SLRs back then. No. So I had to use the Coolpix with a little rotating, rotating LED screen mm-hmm. with the lens and go out and take motorsports photos without a 400-millimeter lens. It was quite, quite comical. An interesting so, concept. It was. It was. I, I, I actually – one of my favorite stories was I still had contacts because I, I worked for Max Speed. was there – sorry, I'm bouncing around a little bit. was there for about 18 months. 
and had the offer from Overboost to go to something called the internet. Mm-hmm. And my it's girlfriend newfangled at the time, thing. It was a newfangled thing. And my girlfriend at the time was working for a company called Launch.com, which was a which was a web based company. It was the it was dot com one point oh nineteen ninety eight nineteen ninety nine two thousand I guess. And um, she's I'm watching. They have a ping pong table in their office, and, and this is the coolest thing. And, oh ever. my god! There's something called equity that you get, and you kind of own this company while you work at this. I'm like, I want to be part of a dot uh, part of the dot com boom. So I went off with Overboost, and I went from my big camera with the 400 millimeter lens, still having some contacts in the automotive world. So a friend of mine at um, Yokohama Tire at the time, he um, he sent me he sent me out to a uh, to an event, he gave me a press invite mm-hmm. while I was at Overboost, and said, "Do you want to cover the um, M3 factory team?" Which at the time, I want to say, "Boy, I can't remember the name." I'm, I'm blanking. What on series they're racing in? Oh, they were racing in like the World Challenge S okay. series back yep. then. Bill Oberlin was the driver. It was mm-hmm. the E36s that were campaigned by Oh Tom Milner. Mm-hmm. So Milner Motorsports. So Milner had this crazy, crazy. E36 wide body that was just nuts and had a V12 that was set low and back and you couldn't take any photos above a certain line and you had to like cheat the engine photos and everything but it was it was I'm there sitting next to people doing photography and as I'm photographing the cars as they go by we were at which I'll always call it Sears Point you call it Sonoma Raceway whatever you want whatever you want to call it but it's Sears Point to me so I was up at Sears Point and we're taking photos of the cars going around to practice and I had full press vest and everything with my little cool pics camera so I unzip my man purse and put my memory card in take my camera out. I'm sitting next to this grizzled old veteran with this thousand millimeter lens and he's just ripping off motor drive shots Shh, as the car's going by and I'm like Zing, and then click one picture nope missed nope. the car click you know trying to get oh look and I'm showing it to everybody I, I, I got one I got one you know what and I'm talking to one of the other photographers and he goes he goes oh who are you here with and I say overboost.com and he goes oh is that like a website and I said yeah and I said, who are you here with? He goes, oh, I'm shooting for the team, you know, for Milner and the guys. And I said, oh, cool. And um, he says, um, I said, oh, who are you shooting? And he goes, oh, I'm shooting my son. And his, it was Bill Arberlin's father that was actually oh. shooting. And he got me in with the team, and I got pretty exclusive access, and I got to go take some crazy pictures. So we had a full-blown feature on this BMW race car, but I, I managed to get – Features like that at Overboost, and I spent about two years there and did very well. We took the unique visitor count up, and before people really had internet, mm-hmm. and um, they called me back to work at Super Street, and from there, that was you know the rest is history. So I, you know, thanks to Mike Robledo and Howard Lim, they brought me back to Peterson, and I came back for a second tour, and I worked as the editor of Super Street for until Jonathan Wong. I was the longest standing editor of Super Street magazine from. I want to say October of 2001 to August of 2007 when I left to do another dot-com, which was called Rice Boy TV, which I was very excited about. And that's where we put videos on something called YouTube, which now we're doing at Hoonigan to much greater success. But I was a little too early with that one. And um, from there – You're always ahead you know, of the curve. I felt like I was a little bit ahead of the curve. At, at, while I was at Super Street, a couple different things. I found something in Japan – called VIP style, which mm-hmm. is these black gangster-esque Yakuza yep. sedans with window curtains and mm-hmm. slammed on like, you know, crazy walled wheels and walled body kits and everything. Yep. And just fell in love with that look. And some of the wealthier, you know, ricers out here in the U.S. started building these cars. Mm-hmm. James Chen had an Infinity Q series that was just slammed on his Axis wheels. He was the guy who started Axis wheels. 
and I featured that car. I'm like, this is called VIP or Bipu status from Japan. Mm-hmm. And it failed miserably. No one, no one liked it. No one knew what they were. Fast forward a year or two later, everybody Everyone's was doing, doing VIP it. style. Then I did something with uh, – there was a little something called the D1 Grand Prix. And mm-hmm. I went to Bihoku Highland and I saw this car, this red S15 Sylvia with these reflective foil graphics from a company called HKS. It was driven by a guy called No One Better, Nabutero Tanaguchi. And I featured that car, put it on the cover. Every It failed. It was like one of the worst selling issues. They said, what was that that you did? I'm like, that was called drifting. They go, what kind of car was that? It was a Nissan Sylvia. Don't ever put that kind of car on the cover ever again. Now it's like one of the most iconic cars ever. You know, I got Everyone into. Everyone loves it. I mean, look, who doesn't? The one thing I touched on, I think I was there for for a, for a good time and the right time was import drag racing. Mm-hmm. So the sport compact drag racing world, which was Steph Papadakis and Miles Batista and, and Steph, so many uh, Mr. Papadakis, obviously a guest of the No Breaking Podcast oh, and a friend wonderful. of the No Breaking Podcast. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Also, as an aside, watching Steph now, I follow him on social. If you follow him, it's Papadakis Racing mm-hmm. on Instagram. Not to give him a little hit, but I will give him a little hit. He he does the neatest little YouTube videos and the neatest little tech videos. Incredible. Incredible stuff, right? Yeah. Like, he did like super science-focused ones, 2JZ, everything you want to know. Completely. He's like, this is why the 2J is such a great motor. And I'm like... I've always known like iron block that in the RB, but you never really know yeah. like all about the oil lines and everything. There's so many differences, little nuanced differences that a lot of people don't know between one J and two J. Mm-hmm. There, there are, there are huge differences that people are like, it's the same motor, but it really isn't. And I love the way that Steph broke that down to And I've been in this industry for a long time and know a lot about the two J. I learned a lot about the two J. He just dropped something else that was seven things you didn't know about NHRA pro drag racing. Mm-hmm. And, Four of them I had no idea existed. And it was really cool to see how Steph is constantly learning and constantly evolving. Like if you look at Steph, he started as a RC car fanatic. Mm -hmm. And he brought himself into drag racing, reached the pinnacle of that, the first guy to do a tube chassis car – then at the top of his game, Switched said, out to do drifting. I'll leave and do drifting and wanted to drive, arguably not quite as successful as a driver. Mm-hmm. But then he found out, wow, I really know how to talk to these drivers coming from a driving background and worked with, you know, took Tanner Faust to two championships, took Frederick Ospo to a championship. You know, I mean, like this is amazing stuff that Steph has done. Like quietly, he's become like one of the winningest team managers in Formula Drift history. And is the, I mean, the crawl that he built is incredible. Completely. So not only that, he took a car that was front wheel drive in the Scion TC, like the Z. You know, anybody, you know, arguably anybody could do a three fifty Z really well. Yeah. I gave you the Z there for you, James. Mm-hmm. I liked it. So and um, but then you know someone came Scion came knocking with money and said, could you do a Scion TC? Not really. It's front wheel drive. And they go, or do you have experience converting rear wheel drives? And he said, well, I did a Civic that did two hundred miles in six seconds in the quarter mile that was converted to rear-wheel drive. I think I could figure it out. Sure enough, he figured it out. There were other companies who struggled. I think Ken Gushi had an RSR car that didn't mm-hmm. do very well. It never quite got sorted. But Steph brought that car to a championship. He, he won a championship in the in the Z and I believe a championship in the TC with, with, with Tanner, Tanner piloting. Yeah. Then Osbo took over the TC. Then they, they said, you know what? We're not going to do a TC anymore. We want to promote this Corolla IM. Steph did that car. I think he did that car in something like 90 days. Yeah, it was super The super car quick. was literally coming out right before the FD season, and he built a car that would, could debut and at now, SEMA and then campaign again. And now selling the car. I know. The 2017 car is for sale. So anybody, Drift Fanatics, if you want a proven Well, by the time this goes car, up, it will already be sold. I'm pretty sure someone's going to 
But I think when I looked last them. night, it was like around 50,000. Oh, my God. That's such a deal. But I think it was market. still like four days out. Yeah. I think it's And you know, a, you know what's crazy is Steph does a lot of stuff with Toyota, and you see mm-hmm. on the down low, you see other drivers drive because they have two cars. Yep. You know, Frederick's got his competition car. Now they have three cars, essentially. His competition car, the demo car, and then the 2017 car, which has older technology, I guess, to it. But um, they're selling that one. And now drivers like Ken Gushi and Ryan Turk, other Toyota drivers, are getting to drive it, and they all will – effuse incredibly on their social media about how awesome it was to drive that car and how well sorted that yeah, car Yeah, and it's a good-looking car as well. Shout out also to uh, John Sabal. John Sabal for the graphics. Oh, the uh, John Sabal's race graphics are, are awesome, but the throwback TRD motorsport with the little blue mm-hmm. in it too was straight fire. I'm like, yeah. that was so hot. And me as a you know fellow Ivan Ironman Stewart fan, I'm like, that hits me right in the feels because it yeah. takes me right back to that world where it's like, Oh my God, that's Ivan's old TRD Motorsport livery, which Dan Gurney and his All-American Racers used on Juan Manuel Fangio III's GTP cars, which that's another thing that I love is old-school GTP cars. Is um, I love the way they harken back to that livery, and it didn't feel cheap or contrived. Or no, it, it was felt, a modern twist yeah, to, that, good. to that basic, to that old-school And John Sabal, so. another friend of the podcast. Oh, is he? Oh, I love that. So. See, you got to listen. I know. More. i got to listen. I was just talking. James is going to help me because I'm very much a podcast noob. I also like definitely have a face made for radio, but I have a voice made for the mute button. I really hate the way, and now I'm going to take it way back, answering machines, like voicemail, all of it, like hearing myself. I did another one, and I'll give a shout-out to, to Mike at Road Stories. I did another podcast, and I was so excited to listen to myself, and then when I really heard myself – when I when I see myself on video, I talk with my hands and mm-hmm. I get very excited and very animated, and I feel like that helps me out a little bit. But when I'm just a faceless voice, I just hate my voice. I just really despise my voice. So apologies to everyone who's listening. Well, they still but. love you, though. That's the important <laughs> thing. They'll still. I mean, who's going to listen to you? Are you going to? I mean, I know my wife will. I don't know. My mum and dad will definitely listen. See? So that's at least two people. That's okay. Listen. See, I've got three on my fan base. So there you go. Definitely see? skewing towards the old. But I like that your wife and your your mum gives me the female demographic. So at least I'm like. And that's more than I'm my skewing. dad. You got sixty six percent female demographic. There you go. So I'm striving for that. But um, yeah, so Super Street still ahead of my time. Rice Boy TV, mm-hmm. way ahead of my time. And I think um, Rice Boy didn't uh, Will do some stuff? I, I discovered Will Rogie. I mm-hmm. was like fortunate enough. And I introduced him to drifting. I said, do you want to come with me to an event? What is it? It's drifting at long at Las Vegas back mm-hmm. when we the FD circuit used to that. go around in Las Vegas. So I brought him to Las Vegas, and uh, he fell in love with it and ran with it from there. He had a he had an S14 that he, that he put wheels on, and I think he did NKs at the time, and they were so – the, the fitment was so poor on them. They were so like completely hella sunk, I think is the mm-hmm. term for it. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking at those wheels. I'm like, dude, I think you did something wrong. You know? And he's like, yeah, I know. I, I don't know what to get. And now look at Will and he's roommates with Hurt and the way that he builds cars and the, he's painting cars in his garage. And I'm yep. like, oh my God, you've passed me at cars. So it's amazing to see the way Will came up. So one good thing that came out of Rice Boy was that Will started. I also recruited David Freiberger from um, Hot Rod, and okay. I brought him on board mm-hmm. to do what was called Car Junkie TV at the time. And that became the genesis for what is Roadkill TV. So I take some slight credit for bringing Freiberger out of the pages of the printed world mm-hmm. and bringing him into the online world of YouTube. And now watching him soar has been pretty good. Now we consider ourselves frenemy as we go back and forth. You know, So, um, yeah, so Rice Boy a little bit before its time, but um, – 
definitely could not get people who spent money in print to spend money on YouTube now. It's obviously a different case in this, in this day and age. And from there, that took me to um, – I got the chance to work with uh, a bunch of different time attack organizations. So I, I, I saw Rich Chang, the mm-hmm. then editor of Super Street in the April 2001 issue, brought – put something on the cover called the HKS Track Attack Alteza. It was this carbon fiber. looked more like a Super GT, JGTC, mm-hmm. uh, GT300 car mm-hmm. than it did a Time Attack car. But whatever it was, this to me was everything that the tuning world should be. It was like wheels and suspension and engine and aero and stripped down like a race car, but not, not um, templatized mm-hmm. like most race series you'll see it everything was a different monstrosity and a different a different way of doing things you know and the diffusers were wild and what's this it's called the canard and let's put five of them on the front of it now and to me i just i fell in love with all of that about that early time attack just the look and feel of those cars and i i when i learned what time attack was and what the scuba circuit was i just immediately immersed myself into it such a big fan of jdm tuning and at the time all the top jdm tuners from HKS to June Auto to Ari Yamamiya to, you know. And the best motoring videos were fantastic. Exactly. So yep. best, you know, didn't know what they were saying, but just. Had no idea. You know. No idea. But the idea that you could get those five or six cars racing against each other. And they're, are they racing against each other? Or are they by themselves? Or are they in a row? Are they trying to pass? The drivers are laughing, but yet yeah. they're maniacal and they're almost hitting each other. Then yeah. all of a sudden a time will flash on the screen and the commentators would go crazy. And I'm like, I don't know what a sub one minute lap is, but apparently it's that's good. super good because yeah. these guys are really excited about it. So to me, I just became obsessed with like, wow, this is the fastest way around a track. I was never, as much as I immersed myself with the early drag racing culture, I was never a big drag racing fan. Going way back, part of my origin story as I bounce around like a ping pong ball is um, street racing. Don't do it, obviously. But back then, young and stupid, I don't, I don't want to claim. You that went to Mexico, is that what you're saying? We did this in Mexico, the streets of Mahal in Mexico. But mm-hmm. you know, canyon racing to me was much more exciting than the drag racing element because yep. I felt like it was more involved as a driver. And the, I w- although know, I wouldn't want to go maybe to the canyon tonight because apparently it might snow there. Yeah, it. it well, I just took my kids snowboarding. And, well, they're saying uh, there's going to be snow. But the, the elevation is going to go so low right now. The so the Hollywood forever. sign might get a dusting. Completely. I so I'm looking to forward that. to seeing that out of my window. That would be amazing. Yeah. So sorry as I jump um, around. It's all my fault. No, not at all. But um, I always found that utilizing every element of a car from the driver input to the performance, power to mm-hmm. handling to stability to aerodynamic grip versus mechanical grip to even down to the liveries, like the way that they fashioned the cars were just new and different and wild. So I completely immersed myself in Time Attack, and I launched something called the Super Lap Battle. The very first Time Attack, Jared Holstein and um, Jason Deanhart and I. Jason Deanhart was – he was he was um, Jojo Kalos's crew chief, and Jojo mm-hmm. Kalos was like a big – civic drag racer back in the day and Jason they call him the world's tallest Mexican he was his crew chief and also just a great wrench and he was one of the early with Steph and all those guys at you know JG Engine Dynamics and all those places and Pro Import Jason worked at all those places and we recruited him to help do our drag racing event Naira the National Import Racing Association the NHRA Sport Compact eventually bought which is funny because Craig Lieberman was the original car consultant on the very first Fast and the Furious and you'll see like Hector's line Mm -hmm. he goes yo I'm going legit I'm going to run the Naira circuit I'm like no one knows what the Naira circuit is but I love the way Craig like slid slid that in there as like a little little informative placement a little plug for the, the now defunct racers but Jason took that over after Craig Lieberman left 
And when I started to do it, Howard said, well, you're going to need an event producer. And I said, okay. And he said, Jason, come along. So Jason helped launch Time Attack with myself and Jared Holstein from Sport Compact Car Mm -hmm. because they were sort of kind of coming up with the same concept that we were. They forced us to work together. So the very first one was a joint venture between Sport Compact Car and Super Street. And the the, uh, Signal Auto uh, Majora R34 took the time. Best time was something like 157 or something like that, which is now you see like Vin, our guy Vin, mm-hmm. runs 156s in his streetcar. And this was like a full-blown built car driven by Tarzan Yamada. And so it's amazing like what technology yeah, the, and the knowledge and everything. technology where it goes up is completely. incredible in regards to that. So that was uh, – I want to say that was um, – April of 2002 mm-hmm. with the Import Auto Salon, it was called back then, that, mm-hmm. that SEMA produced in Southern California. Right after that, when everybody brought their cars in, I'm like, well, come to Button Willow, which, by the way, Button Willow was the track that we picked because I tried to get Laguna Seca, way too expensive. Talked to everybody else, and they said, go to this place called Button Willow, and there's something called the East and West Loops, and you put them together, and you want to run it clockwise, just ask for CW13. Didn't know what any of that meant. Booked the track, fell in love with it ever since, so it became our track. And so started that, you know, got that to a good place. When I, by the time I left Super Street, uh, Redline had started. And Redline, you know, sort of took the mantle from Super Street and became a national series. Mm-hmm. And it went through certain ups and downs, and different drops, ownerships, yep. and had lots of trouble. And from there, um, Chris Rado and Jason Deanhart started Global Time Attack, and they brought me on to help that one. So I worked for every single one of the Time Attack entities now, with the exception of what is Super Lap Battle USA, which just had an amazing event at COTA, which mm-hmm. I think Cole Paulson ran like a 207, which is scorching fast for that circuit. It's up there with the LMP three times, I believe, mm-hmm. which is pretty impressive. Really and, impressive. Um, when yeah, you, very yeah. impressive when you think about it. I mean, Sydney, has, that R35 that they built is an amazing machine, but when you consider that's a streetcar built to a race car versus a full-blown race car. It's, mm-hmm. it's an amazing accomplishment. So And the budget, obviously, the budget differential between the two would be... Oh, completely. At completely. least a few His pennies. Life, completely, completely. But, you know, and, and one of our guys, Rob Parsons, was out there helping for the weekend. So Chair Slayer was out helping, helping. But shout out to the Life Motorsport crew for that amazing, amazing time. And now Super Lap Battle. So there's been four Time Attack organizations. Now I, I have to go get a job with Jason because I want to work for all of them now because I... But I've only worked for three of them out of the four now. But I used to be able to claim I've worked for every time attack organization in North America. Tried to get Ian Baker from World Time Attack Challenge mm-hmm. in Australia to come work with Jason. Because we have one of our uh, former contributors at No Breaking used to cover the World Time Attack down under in Australia. So he'd cover that one and do the oh, trouble for that and do the running for that. Yeah, amazing. Which yeah. was great. So, I mean, I was all jealous I didn't get to go back home and go down there and do it. That's a bucket list item for mm-hmm. me, too. And I just sent Hurt down and Rob down to go to that event, and I was unable to attend. Because so Sydney Motorsports now. Park is lovely now. I will step where they host it. I was going to say, like, Eastern Creek Raceway never struck – it struck me as a little bit like a button willow of Well, it's Australia. also really, uh-huh. really cold. Whenever it's like that one where it's like time you no matter where you're going to go, it's going to be freezing across the wind that blows across that, it. That sounds like Willow Springs, like Willow yeah. Springs Raceway in Southern California here. Yeah, it's, it's like, either like it's super, 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 super hot, super and, hot and you're going to melt. It's cold and windy. Yeah, it's no all, what, guaranteed it's, windy. it's always going to be windy. So Eastern Creek is a lot, a lot the same way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No. Yeah, good to know. But I I know people have set up cars for there. I knew Andrew Brilliant. I mm-hmm. know Ian and the. I've always wanted to get down there and was never able to make it down. But I'm still trying to connect Ian with them. Still trying to do an event in Japan. I'd love to do something either with Hoonigan or some of those. So my Time Attack love is not done yet. And I still always am trying to get Time Attack cars to come in here. I just had uh, Ulrich Circa had a um, 
little 340 horsepower Miata, any mm-hmm. Miata that's doing 151s at clockwise 13, which is amazing. Oh, I forgot to mention, he's 17 years old and he's the world's only second generation time attack driver. So Big his dad, guy. Tony Circa, like basically gave him spare parts. He's like, you grew up in the shop, you figure you, out how to yeah. nut and bolt it and get it together. So Done. this kid built this car. It's, it's basically like full eBay racing, but there's a lot of thought and insight gone into it. So that was that was something that I'm still doing. I still try to bring in time attack cars. I just brought in Rhett Painter mm-hmm. and his NSX. The um, that thing was the Power Needy Motorsports NSX is an amazing car. Um, so I still dabble with time attack, but I'd like to do more. And now that I'm rambling and talking about time attack, shout out to William All Young who is over there in Japan right now as we're speaking. Not sure if when you hear this, it will be it will be current anymore. But he's competing in. Um, I want to say it's a rev speed time attack that takes place in February. So he's going to be running. He's a Canadian driver, but he's reset records all over the United States. He took the car down to Australia. I believe his is the only car that's run in North America, Australia, and And Japan. Japan. Yeah, so pretty impressive feat right there. So, and that's a that's a Civic. That's a front wheel drive car, which is another one of my sort of in your wheelhouse, maybe somewhat in my wheelhouse. Yes. So from there, you know, did a little time attack stuff for Redline Global Time Attack. Worked for something called Car Domain and Street Fire, which they were the ones who actually invented um, the video sharing platform. They preceded YouTube Mm -hmm. by all of a year. And when YouTube came around, people started uploading like the daily show clips and everything to Street Fire. And they said, oh, we can't have this. We're going to get busted for copyright infringement. YouTube said, we'll take all of it. And they took all of it and literally passed Street Fire around. So streetfire.net, which was known as being the three honks and a, and a go mm-hmm. sort of street racing uh, sort of video platform. Yeah, I, th- I keep thinking back to my first like seeing of the, the street racing videos. Was it like Yoda Frog and his Civic? Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Now you're way going back. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the, the first ones I saw when he was taking on the Viper and he had his handbrake on still. I still remember that video. <laughs> I mean that's that's where I started. Those are those are the heady days of the internet. But yeah, so I, I had the opportunity. To I mean, work I still think I've got that for a year. on somewhere on like a hard drive somewhere. I think oh I've really? Got, yeah. Oh my goodness. No. Yeah. But they they had since got sold to Ten, the Mighty Powers, which I believe is now called Motor Trend Velocity today. Yeah, it's, the name changes pretty frequently. Yeah. Um, Depending and, on the week uh, and the weather, I pretty think. much. And uh, spent some time there and then had a consultancy where I was working for a company called um, Sierra Sierra Enterprises. They had a pretty crazy Evo 8 named Mm -hmm. Christine, this red Sierra Sierra Evo. And I got to do the marketing and social media for them and a few other clients and mother's polishes and just a few friends that I did business for. And a buddy of mine called me and said, hey, um, Brian Scotto calls me and said, hey, do you want to do – since you know Time Attack so well and you know motorsports – Ken wants to do something called uh, Gymkhana Grid. And I'm like, oh, like a Gymkhana video? One of his Gymkhana? No, no, no. We call this Gymkhana Grid. It's essentially like a Gymkhana contest. I'm like, mm-hmm. like the autocross ones. And he goes, no, kind of like, you know, the San Francisco video just came out. And he goes, kind of like driving around the streets of San Francisco, but contained. And I said, oh, yeah, I'd love to help with that. Where do you want to contain it at? At the X Games. And I said, oh, okay, when's your first event? At the X Games. And I'm like, Oh, like live in front of like millions of people? And he said, yeah. And I said, when the, the, this year's X Games? And he said, yeah. And I'm like, that is like doing the math in my head, 55 days away? And he goes, yeah. He goes, I go, why do you want me to do this? I don't know Ken very well. I knew Ken a little bit before. And I said, I don't know much. He goes, well, the beauty of it is it's kind of a suicide mission. If you succeed, you got a job. If not, yeah, you never really worked for us anyway, so we could claim, you know, it was, co- there, the, it was that other guy. Yeah. It was that guy Nads, that old guy yeah. Nads did it. So I did the X Games. It, it went off with a tremendous success. I blended um, 
all of the all of the GRC, the Global Rallycross cars, and my 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 perfect world would have been putting the GRC cars with the Formula Drift cars mm-hmm. and doing rear wheel drive and all wheel drive classes, and then pitting them against each other. We didn't quite get to that stage. Um, Chris Willard from Redline Time Attack did the first teaser event, which I helped him with at Irwindale Speedway, which combined rear-wheel drive and front-wheel drive cars, and Dai Yoshihara in his old S13, the discount tire car, almost beat Tanner Faust in his Rockstar Beetle back then. I think he had the Beetle back then. And it was an amazing thing to see a rear-wheel drive car compete with an all-wheel drive car. But when we did the X Games event, we partnered with Global Rallycross, and we built this entire course with obstacles and everything, mm-hmm. and we had to build it in one day because they had to move all the dirt in for the GRC race. The very next day, we built it at the on the base of the mega ramp. So I'm watching, you know, skaters huck it and and freestyle BMXers huck it. So that was pretty amazing. And so we did it at the X Games, and it succeeded. And it brought me back to do marketing for Hoonigan for a little while. And I was there for another eight months. And a friend of mine called and said, "How'd you like to work for?" you know, doing Gymkhana style videos for Toyota. And as much as I'm a Honda fan, my true origin story is Toyota's. I've had Ford Hilux trucks. I've had Supras. I've had Corollas, FX-16s. I've had a Paseo of all things. I've had all sorts of different Toyotas. We need I, to talk about the Paseo mostly, The Paseo mm-hmm. was, was an amazing I mean, car. if only so. you'd said you had a Sarah, and I would have been like, well, that's, that's the, that's, you've, you've reached the top there. But I got my mom a Paseo because I'm like, you're going to like this car. And I got it, got her, I, I got it to her in a manual transmission. She hated me for that. And then actually her <laughs> last car that she had was a CRZ. So go okay. mom. So my mom's always had sort of an alternate style of, of types of cars that she liked. But anyways, um, I said, I know Toyotas. I love Toyotas. I go, what would I do? And he goes, you'd be working for a company called Saatchi and Saatchi, which I would later learn is the world's largest advertising agency. They do some, some they, stuff. A little stuff. Yeah. A little like $1.6 billion in, yeah, in, in, advertising in stuff for thing. Toyota advertising. And so yeah. I said, I don't know anything about Toyota. He goes, you got to take this class. I don't know anything about advertising. He goes, you got to take this class. So I learned advertising on the fly. Mm-hmm. And I got hired by a car guy named Steve Bolton. And he said, you'll fit in perfectly here. And I was hoping it was Mad Men, but it was not quite the Mad Men world that I was hoping. You weren't falling asleep at 12 after having two after a very boozy lunch? Didn't get the boozy lunches out of it. And then um, Steve ended up leaving. My other other supervisor, Mark Laughlin, ended up leaving to go to Apple to work on Project Titan, um, which is the car launch for Apple. And um, now I'm sitting here with no one to report to except the chief creative officer, and they go – here, write brochures. So I ended up writing about Prius and Camrys. Which and you were was like, like this, this is, is the life for is, me. This is what I've dreamed of. What, I'm never going to get a better This is Dante's now. Seven Stages of Hell. I'm in it somewhere. I'm not entirely sure where I'm at, mm-hmm. but I'm definitely floating down the river Styx without an oar right now. Mm-hmm. And it was it – was, um, but I learned a lot about advertising and about how to, how to market towards moms. Mm-hmm. You know, I was always just the ricer guy, kid, I'd like to say, but I'm not no longer – and you're a youthful young man, I'm one a, might say I, now. You know, youth and energy, if not enthusiasm, but definitely not in appearance or, or bone structure. But um, I ended up uh, I ended up kind of liking it and kind of liking there was a certain framework. And I really tried to do stunty-esque videos, as they call it in the advertising world, that were like Gymkhana-esque. And mm-hmm. I'm always trying to work my, 
my ricer roots into it. And I would talk to Steph and talk to Frederick Osbo and talk to Turk and the guys and say, hey, you guys are Toyota drivers. I want to use you for a commercial. I talked to guys like Alex Bernstein, Bernou, one of the famous photographers that we work with, and said, mm-hmm. hey, you should be shooting photos for Sean Klingelhoff or all these, mm-hmm. these shooters that I used to work with in my world. And I'd try to bring them into the Saatchi world for Toyota. And I, you know, I made a fair bit of coin and had – a lot of time to spend with my kids. And then about a little over a year and a half ago, Scotto calls me again and says, hey, he goes, we're growing here. And he goes, I like what you've been doing at Saatchi because I know that you're fighting a good fight, but you can't be happy there. And he knew it. He played me like a fiddle and said, you know, why don't you think about coming back? Mm-hmm. And I came back and things behind the scenes here haven't changed much. We're still like the dysfunctional family that we've always been. But on a much larger scale, when I was there before, there was four employees when I was came back there was 40 all of a sudden so i got to come back to hoon again and brought some of my cars from the super street days and the time attack days and um you know still trying to do some work with toyota on the other side and now i'm doing business development of all things so writing basically sales decks so when our when first and foremost i always serve to exist our audience to, mm-hmm. to serve our i always exist to serve our audience and i never try to cram something down their throats or their eye, eyeballs that doesn't benefit them as well. You know, I mean, I want something that they would like, they would find appreciable. And that's why our views and our, our engagement is so great. And then after that, we'll go to an advertiser and we'll say, okay, do this. But now we've get, we've been getting so many inquiries. So we get inquiries from energy drink companies and tire companies. And sometimes they're on brand and sometimes they're not, when they're not on brand, it's my job to sort of figure out what can help them get on brand and Mm -hmm. how we can help them deliver their message in a, in a good way that our audience will like and appreciate and not look at it as like a sellout. You know, we never want to say this is brought to you by brand X or brand Y, mm-hmm. you know? So that's where I'm at right now. I'm having a good time with it and not wanting to be on camera, but if they feed me a beer and I could have a little drink while I go on camera, I'll gladly go on camera and talk about something. Cause the other thing was when I first got here, I brought in a, a drag car, Dave Shu from skunk Two. I brought in, um, his project beta Integra, this this DC two Integra that's that's run like eight sixties in a quarter mile, naturally mm-hmm. aspirated, mind you, on methanol. It's the nuttiest build, and I'm like, this is cool. Kids love drag racing. Kids love import drag racing. Kids love front wheel drive drag racing. And I bring the car, and I'm like, there. I brought you a car. I'm gonna go back to work now. And all the hosts sort of looked at me and said, What is this? We don't know what this is. Yeah. And I. It, the light bulb went off, and I'm like, "Oh my God, I'm that guy pitching a '57 Chevy to a world of that is all about the BRZ and the FRS and the 86." And I'm like, "Okay, I'm like, I guess I'm gonna have to come on and talk about this." So I started talking about these cars and bringing out, bringing out. So I always bring out like the old school cars, but I never like to look back. It's, uh, it was a Henry Rollins quote that I love. This is as I get older and I have more days in my rear view than I do in my windshield. I always try to focus firmly on the windshield and push ever faster, mostly out of fear that if I ever do slow down, mm-hmm. I might not be able to speed up again. Like, I don't know if I have any, I'm, I have any frequency there to where I could just take a break. Cause if I take a break, I just might take a, it might end in a dirt nap to where I might yeah, not, a break that I might not arise from. So, so for me, I'm always trying to focus on the future, but occasionally People will ask me, do you know these people? And I'll go through my phone or I'll go through my IG account or my, my Facebook friends, if any people know what Facebook is anymore. And yeah, it's that, any of the it's youths, that thing that the, it's that parent, thing that, the parentals that, that, like to check exactly. up on their kids. So, and I'll go through those and I'm like, oh my God, I've, I've, I've been so fortunate to lead such an amazing life and to be 
just and and people say I'm the OG. I'm not the OG. I am probably the OG fanboy. I am just the ultimate like fan of this. And I and I regard myself as a chronicler of people who do great deeds. And that's all I do. That's, and I think you, know? you do it very well. Oh, I mean, well, you're very knowledgeable, you. and you. it's no. you've always put no. so much enthusiasm into it. I think it might I help like after a, maybe a sip or two of uh, beer. That might help bring that out of you. Maybe it does a little bit. It does help. No. So, but but no. I mean, it's great to have you on. And so if. If uh, I should say this, if any of the young kids out there that are listening, aside from my wife, my mum and dad, because they're, I mean, my dad's young, let's put it that way. <laughs> but uh, where would they look to find you on the wide, wo- the World Wide Web, I should say? Well, I guess the best thing I'm supposed to say is like, is it find me on Friendster or MySpace? But I don't think anybody's there anymore. I haven't no. gotten a lot of friend requests. Although lately. Tom's doing pretty well so, for himself. He is. I know. I am a friend of Tom, so I do have one friend on MySpace, so I'm happy with that. So yeah. I'm okay with that. But um, and then no one, you know, don't friend me on Facebook because it's just pictures of my kids. But um, I would say on my Instagram account, I guess that's the most topical thing. Unless somebody wants to slide into my Tinder or Grinder or whatever yeah. I'm on these days, I don't know which one I'm supposed to be on. Which one you're I don't know if I'm supposed right to be on? sexually fluid or mm-hmm. not. I'm not entirely sure. I'm not. But Instagram is probably the best place to find me. It's at at Nadsy Nads N A D S Y N A D S. And uh, worst nickname ever. This is the absolute worst nickname ever, named after testicles. Well, it's, and it's kind of stuck. Right? Yeah, it does. Mm-hmm. So, much like they do to my leg after, yeah. after a long day. Yeah, yeah. Well, at least, uh, well, yeah, that's all you can say about that. <laughs> but, um, I mean, and then obviously they can find everything else that you do here at Hoonigan, right? Yes, On the so, old uh, YouTubes yes. and uh, Twitch. We're, we're definitely pushing hard into Twitch. It's amazing, too, when, when, uh, when I first started working with the people from Twitch, and for those that don't know, for the for your your mom and dad, um, it's it's an amazing platform. It's a live stream platform. There's a lot of lives. There's YouTube's mm-hmm. got live, and Facebook's got live, and IG's got live. But um, this one's pretty cool because you actually interact with the audience, and you interact in in much more of an immediate fashion mm-hmm. than you do. It's it's easy. It's easy to track. The conversation. I mean, obviously, if you're someone like Ninja, who's got nine million followers, it's kind of difficult. His yeah. his it's his like, chat <laughs> is just is just a constant mm-hmm. thing of emotes. Which I don't know when we started calling them emojis emotes, and I don't know if they're the same thing or not. I have to ask Drew, our resident Twitch daddy. He probably knows the, the difference between an emote and an emoji. But mm-hmm. but the emotes, um, his probably move a lot faster. But but when I was doing it. What we love about our social media is we'll do a post. Oh, I want to see more like this. Or, oh, that car's gross. I don't like that. And we, we track that it. engagement. You yeah. tailor it. Same with YouTube. Oh, more with Hurt. More with this one. More with that one. And it, it makes And less we, with Nats. And less with – always less with Nats. And I'm, I'm looking at it and I'm going, wow, this is amazing. We really do, we really do fine-tune our content. But as I started hosting Twitch, I, I did a Honda Museum tour. We walked mm-hmm. through the Honda Museum on Twitch. And Drew's filming and, and – He's reading the responses because I can't keep up with them because of my old eyes. And he's saying – I said, oh, well, this was actually um, Parker Johnstone's NSX, the CompTech NSX that ran wherever and in World Challenge in another world. And I'd go, this is a really cool car. And I'd go over to someone else, and someone said, oh, it's up on a lift. It's on the second tier of a, of a lift. Can you show the underside of it? And Drew said they're asking us to show the underside of it. And I realized that at that moment that the audience isn't as much – we aren't even playing with the feedback of the audience. The audience is almost actually directing the content. Mm-hmm. So I said, oh, well, Panda Vengeance 240 says we need to go show the underside. So we're going to go show the – and 
they're changing the content in real time. And to me, that's what I really, really love about it. And I like the idea that when you do it, you can have the engagement like that. And the engagement is almost instantaneous, if not seconds away, when you can find it, slip it into the the conversation, so to speak, when it gets through. So that's what I I really like about that. So I'm, I'm learning to love podcasting. And I'm learning to love Twitch. So, Although you don't you know, listen to the podcast. I, and, well, you're going to help me with this after I will. we get off the, yeah. off the – are we on the air right now? We're not technically no. because we're recording. So. No, it's all it's so all weeks I, away. So if I say like a dirty word like poop, pee, pee, caca, you, you'll edit that out. And no, post, no. Really. It's oh, just, that'll end is, up in there. This is podcast verite. If so it's on the show, it goes, it's, it's in the show. Complete transparency. So it's like a, yeah, like so a single shot. I, I try and let uh, all the listening audience behind the kimono, so to speak. Okay. Okay. Very good. Very so good. I don't know good. if they want to see underneath my kimono. But well, yeah, I'm open to that. It's a surprise. Look, I mean, it's <laughs> like you said, that you're, you're very fluid when it comes to that. But uh, Mr. Nance, it's been absolutely wonderful having you on the show. It's been awesome being here. And I'm glad that I was able to, even though you said beforehand you definitely did not want to talk about your origin story, that I may as well to pull those teeth out and I able did. to get you through it. And I did. And I appreciate that. And so Someone's no. got someone's to remember me for what I did. And look, <laughs> and hopefully maybe this could be one of the first or second podcasts that you listen to when we finally get it in I the could, go. Maybe I could show my kids or something if, as long as we edit the pee-pee, caca, poo-poo. Uh, for the uh, second. No, that's okay. not going to happen. <laughs> but again, that's, thank you so much for being here. And everyone else, thank you so much for listening. As always, please leave us a very positive review. Uh, the more words, the nice things you say about me, the better. Also, the more stars you give me out of five, the better. I think 67 or 68, perfect number you can give me. I'd say 69, but I've never quite evolved. Yeah, number. I know. 420 times, yes, is that yes. something like that? <laughs> but uh, yeah, so thanks again always for listening, and we'll see you next time, guys. Bye-bye.